0: Welcome to today's boss to boss podcast. In our interviews, we feature remarkable business people doing imaginative things in often unimaginative markets, usually from the world of B2B. Today's interview is with Ant Laval, VP of SEO for Crowd, a leading digital agency with offices in the UK, the US, and Australia. Crowd managed the content for many of the world's largest brands, such as Audible and MongoDB, and have won countless awards for their search marketing, including Campaign's Performance Agency of the Year, and has also recently managed to elevate Crowd to the Moz list of recommended agencies, which as anyone in SEO will know is just about the holy grail of search. There are always a lot of stats bouncing around regarding the proportion of B2B buyer journeys that begin with a search in Google. And there's certainly no question that it's always in the top two or three channels for any progressive B2B or professional service brand. But for every firm that turns us into a huge asset, there are 10 that get it totally wrong and waste a ton of resources, achieving not very much. So we're hoping that today Ant can shed some light on doing it right. Ant, thank you so much for joining us. So diving right into it, in large companies, I feel like SEO can sometimes struggle to get a seat at the strategic table. So everyone in digital recognizes its significance, but often the broader sales and marketing functions, and certainly the executives above them, view it as highly technical, highly tactical, and almost something of a mysterious dark art. So they're keen to see the brand creating content, running events, sending emails, doing lots of other various kind of channel activities. And they probably even have some kind of social media presence themselves via LinkedIn. But SEO, which is arguably the most powerful channel for so many B2B brands, is somehow treated with suspicion. Is that a barrier you ever encounter? And if so, do you have any methods for overcoming those perceptual barriers and forcing it onto the agenda at the highest level?
1: Well, that's a fantastic question. And it's certainly something that resonates so much within my job role pretty much every single day. Uh, Proving the value of SEO is a constant battle for some businesses more than others. But I feel like the biggest sort of impact of any agency onto any business that you can ultimately showcase is bottom line and, and the potential revenue that can be made. So we spend quite a lot of time doing forecasting for clients Now, the forecasting within the world of SEO, as you probably only know too well or within any digital marketing channel, is ultimately a bit of a crystal ball, right? So it needs to be taken with a pinch of salt. But we can, based on the output of our efforts, which are typically content created, technical SEO projects delivered, try to estimate what that might do in terms of impact on rankings, traffic and revenue over time. It's not ideal. I don't think there's any SEO or marketing practitioner that enjoys doing those things. But ultimately, there's a lot of brands that have an appetite for it and won't open their wallets until they know that you can showcase some kind of return. But in sort of the grander perception of our industry, I think trust is just the big thing. You mentioned dark arts. And yes, I think there's certainly... A lot of people that do not understand SEO as a channel, and that's totally understandable because we are not supposed to understand SEO as a channel. One of your previous guests, Rand Fishkin, recently put a video on to Spark Toro talking about growth being so important over profitability. For a lot of businesses, because of capital gains tax structure in particular in the United States, but but, you know, I think elsewhere around the world, and ultimately the growth channels and the visibility on invested dollar versus return on investment ROAS is available to you via platforms like Facebook, Google AdWords, uh, etc. etc. That's why biddable channels are so often preferred over organic channels because. With organic channels, we can't see the keywords that are driving the return on investment. We have to split brand traffic from non-brand traffic uh, to be able to understand what is the impact that my SEO agency is giving me. So we do all of these things when we're doing forecasting, which is you know not necessarily the easiest thing to be able to do, especially if you don't necessarily have access to first party data and you're trying to do it with third party data as well. So Yes incredibly difficult to be able to do but also at the same time pertinent. Um, so I think the, the short answer would be you either have trust with a client who understands SEO as a channel and knows why you're doing the things that you need to do or ultimately yeah you you, you know you need to be able to showcase some kind of forecasting using a model that is accepted by both parties. So yeah not always easy but uh, you know certainly achievable and ultimately hopefully the trust comes from there.
0: I wonder, have you seen much of a change? Like, do you feel it's easier now to have a conversation at a strategic level than it was 10 years ago? Do you feel like as a channel, people are maturing their attitudes towards it?
1: Yes, 100%. Like, I think if you go back 10 years, people didn't necessarily think that they needed to do SEO. It was a little bit of a gold rush and there was potentially opportunities there, but certainly larger businesses perhaps were a little bit more Aware of potentially, you know, doing something that could be negative or could be considered black hat, which obviously was a lot of spammy link building going on. If you go back to sort of 2012 and you know before that time, a lot of other manipulative practices that are still part, in part, in practice today. But ultimately, I think nowadays one of the great things that I often say is that people do, businesses do know that they need to be doing SEO to some level. Uh, They need to be investing in it, and certainly are more aware of um, what it does and probably have worked in a business that has ultimately done SEO previously. So yes, that does open a lot of opportunities, particularly as an agency, you know, ultimately selling SEO and content solutions. So yeah, that certainly enabled us to be able to speak to a lot more businesses more readily because it is more prevalent or even if businesses don't necessarily understand what it is that they're going to get out of it or what it takes to make it happen. Uh, They certainly understand that they perhaps need to do it.
0: This is a slightly more technical question than I would usually ask, but with having a bit of a background in SEO myself, I can't help it, I'm afraid. So for many B2B brands, 90% of the traffic can often be noise. Lots of long tail stuff landing on the blog or other resource pages that add some value, but probably less than the 10% of more targeted terms that arrive on specific landing pages. One thing I like to therefore do is isolate those more sales, kind of those more promotional landing pages in an attempt to get a clearer sense of the site's performance. I just wonder if there are any tricks or methods that you deploy to try and get a better understanding of a B2B site's changing performance over time, particularly with keyword data now being so limited.
1: Yeah, so I think B2B generally is something that we have to adopt a slightly different approach for with the businesses that we've worked with in the past. So going back to your previous question about sort of the the readily available appetite to consume SEO as a product that is certainly prevalent in the market. Now, I can give you an example of a B2B company, very large architecture and construction B2B company that we actually worked with in Mexico and Latin America for a couple of years. Um, And the reason why we started working with them is because uh, one of the key marketing practitioners at that business was working previously for a, a very large airline. And he'd seen the success of SEO there and he thought, I want to bring that to my new business. But the key difference is that he was working at a B2C company before and now is working at a B2B company where we started working with him. And some of the things that we had to ultimately do were to be able to understand to the nth degree how a customer via the digital property was actually going to be acquiring purchasing or at least just submitting a form for the sales teams to follow up on so we had to do a lot where we were connecting with sales teams connecting with marketing functions in order to be able to understand uh you know how is this product sold uh and then how does that potentially translate to the the web property that we're managing now um So in terms of your point with regards to sort of segmenting particular uh, certain aspects of traffic uh, via Google Analytics, for example, and then and then trying to sort of make an analysis of that cohort. Yeah, I think certainly there's sort of elements of that, uh, in particular, in creating your conversion funnels via Google Analytics. So ensuring that those attribution funnels are ultimately not just last click, because obviously, as we know, in the world of B2B, it's entirely irrelevant because. I did a talk at a Google event a few years ago, and one of the stats that they gave was, you know, there's five B2B senior executives that are involved in any decision with regards to a B2B purchase. Ultimately, the average lead time is at least 10 weeks. So a last click attribution, Uh, in Google Analytics is entirely pointless, because that could come from anywhere. So ultimately, the attribution needs to be given to all of the channels that are touched along that journey as well. And I think that's a very important thing too, in the context of B2B is to set up those different uh, attribution funnel uh, instances. So yeah, that's another key thing I would say as well. So um, yeah, I think it's just ultimately understanding how your customer is going to potentially interact with your site, and then curating you know, the digital marketing experience around that, ensuring they have the right content to connect with. And then ultimately, I think even before that, arguably, or in conjunction with that, uh, you know, making sure that your analytics, would be it Google Analytics or, or Adobe or whatever it might be, set up to be able to uh, convey that
0: narrative in the right way. I always think there are two ways of looking at an SEO campaign. Either you adhere to best practice and trust that it will all contribute some value over time, Or you decide that it's a priority channel and go after it like a maniac. I just wonder, how should a B2B brand make that decision? Is it a question of keyword research? Or is it about just instinct based on an understanding of the audience? Or perhaps you'd advocate the company maybe running a series of tests to see how Google responds and how the traffic behaves when it does arrive on the site. Again,
1: I think this comes down to trust. It's ultimately, if I am the principal in charge of marketing dollars or pounds for a B2B business, then ultimately my investment in SEO comes from trust in the channel. I think any business that invests significantly in SEO content, digital PR over time sees the impact of that eventually, but not a lot of businesses do. Now, at the one end of the sort of spectrum, know it could be that ultimately the majority of your deals in the b2b space are done based on conversation they're done based on personal relationships and and, and word of mouth and that kind of thing now it's i don't think it's fair to say that there potentially isn't an opportunity for that business to utilize digital marketing and seo uh, to be able to better emphasize what it is that they're doing but it may be that it's just not right for you right so in certain instances it could just be you don't necessarily need it. But the, for the vast majority of businesses online, I think ultimately you want to be able to, uh, you know, tap into different channels and, and you know, a long term uh, engagement into producing high quality content that speaks to your audience at a variety of levels is potentially going to help you to be able to achieve that. So how do you make that decision? Well, I think ultimately testing helps anybody you know, who doesn't necessarily have the trust or or doesn't know the channel Uh, of organic search is going to be kind of critical. So you can test for a number of different keywords that you think that your audience might search for in the context of being able to find your product and then hope that you know you get some conversions so that it ultimately warrants the potential pursuit of those keywords from an organic perspective too that's how we set up our b2c campaigns as well like that's a one of the most important things that we do is ultimately look at any adwords data that we've got and then that's the only way that we have the ability to be able to see keyword to conversion because that information is taken away from us uh, on the organic side so the ability to be able to understand what keywords convert or what, at least what keywords perform an action that would then potentially lead to conversion, be it filling in a form, sending in an email or whatever, is going to be critical to be able to validate the potential that could exist within a particular industry. And then after that, ultimately, it's just a case of saying, OK, right, if we think there's opportunity for this, then you know we need to make sure to invest in it sufficiently. And such a large part of that comes from content. So in particular, in the B2B space, you know, content is important for not just bringing in new customers, but also for, you know, providing support pages for existing customers and ensuring that they've got a fantastic experience. But ultimately, you might have complex products, maybe, you know, guides or comparison pages are of importance. Videos and white papers, obviously white papers behind sort of a, a login wall or an email wall or whatever it might be we're obviously very prevalent in the world of B2B for obvious reason, because ultimately it's all about those kind of soft conversions and being able to understand who might be interested in this product and how can we build a sufficient lead uh, and and prospectus base for our sales executives. So yeah, you know, I think regardless of of sort of B2B or B2C, I think, you know, but in particular within B2B, it's important to be able to prove uh, whether or not a keyword or, or whether or not a website has the capacity to be able to, uh, convert a specific keyword and that 's where PPC comes in so incredibly handy but once you 've done that and once you 've validated it, yeah you know you can pursue that then from an SEO perspective and know that if you rank first organically for that keyword, not only are you getting the free kicks for as long as you maintain that ranking but also you 're getting the you know the, the bottom line off the back of it because you 're sending qualified leads to your company website so if you can do that for you know fifty 100 keywords suddenly you 're sitting pretty.
0: I just wonder about reconciling all of this SEO stuff with broader content strategy. So if we go back ten plus years, it was largely accepted that there were two very different disciplines, and then we tried to convince ourselves that they were two in the same thing that what was good for the user was good for Google and was good for the brand and I think that was the right mindset to adopt, but there was there certainly remained some very real tactical distinctions. I just wonder if that's moved on now. are we at a point? where these things truly have aligned, or is there still a discrepancy that you have to wrestle with?
1: Yeah, um, I do think that we ultimately treat those as two different things. Sometimes, and I'm not one of these people who's quick to sort of dismiss using SEO as a term, although I do think it's evolved massively, but I think, you know, so um, to give context, so Dan was the first person that I ever started working for in a digital marketing agency, and I think, Even when you and I first worked together, Dan, ultimately, SEO was something that was much broader than just it being this individual channel. You had to understand digital PR, you had to understand backlinks, and you had to understand the technical aspects of of SEO, which is so extensively vast. Um, And you had to understand content and, you know, maybe outside of that, you had to understand, you know, HTML and CSS and you had to understand very broadly sort of how the web works and, you know, relationship building. But I think those things are true for a lot of digital marketing channels. But I certainly think that there is a distinction that we place as an agency between SEO and, and content. But one of the big things, and I've had a new business contact, a client of ours that we work with on the uh, PPC side here in the United States asked me this week, is we can create as much content as we want for any given client. But ultimately, this contact that we had asked me, well, what happens if we don't rank first when we create the content for the keywords that were targeted for that page? You know, What do you do then? Well, the question is, if we've created so, we use certain tools to be able to create content, right? There's some incredible tools out there now for content briefing, uh, clear scope, phrase. A lot of these will just be able to automatically, using uh, artificial intelligence, generate content categories for you. Uh, they'll look at the sort of the, the SERPs, the top 10 results, and tell you what the word count is for the, word, uh, the articles that are listed in those top 10 results. It'll tell you the readability score, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we know what type of content we need to create to rank. But that content isn't always going to rank because there's more than just creating content as a ranking factor for SEO. Ultimately, uh, we know that then we have to think about okay, right? Well, do we need to look at internal linking? Do we need to look at, uh, I don't know, structured data, or do we need to look at page speed? Like, there are other things outside of that that encompass the SEO container that ultimately we need to consider if we've created the content and it isn't performing as it's supposed to. So, as an agency, we come at it from the approach of we're creating content with the intent of that content performing and ultimately converting. And there's a lot of data that we analyze to be able to make that decision. But what we know is that the SEO bit comes back into play if that
0: content doesn't rank. So a very generic one now, but an important question nonetheless, I think. What would you say were the top three defining principles of any great SEO campaign in B2B?
1: Okay, so I will just look to the poster on my wall where I keep my three defining principles of any great B two B SEO campaign. I'll just read these verbatim off the poster, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's a it's a it's a good question. I think ultimately, it's uh, becomes about what a B2B customer is looking for. And again, sort of going back to some of the data that I previously mentioned that was from this B2B event that I attended at Google in New York uh, a couple of years back, you know, there's longer lead times with B2B. There's multiple decision makers. And I think one of the most important pieces of research that I learned from that particular uh, event was that 66% of B2B decision makers start with a brand in mind. And of that 66%, based on the cohort that they uh, surveyed, 96% went with the brand that they knew, so purchased from the brand that they'd started with. So the first one would be, and I think this is something that you and me have discussed many times, Dan, like invest in content that leads the conversation. Be the voice of your industry. If you are already the B2B brand for commercial facades, for example, or teleconferencing solutions, or whatever it might be, then, and people already know about you because you do something that's really cool that resonates with them, then there's very likely when they move into a position where they can potentially acquire your product, they will go with you. And that is regardless of whether or not it's a B2C or B2B target in terms of your content and and customer, like ultimately putting out that incredible content is gonna come back because you have made yourself the voice of your industry. So investing content that leads the conversation would be the first one. Second one would be don't ignore the upper funnel. And there was actually another stat from that Google event, 74% of the time, according to Google search, helps users at the top of the funnel discover their brand. So search is more impactful at the beginning of the conversion funnel. So don't ignore the upper funnel. Um, I think it's probably quite easy in the context of B2B to get bogged down more in trying to help explain what your product is. I've worked for B2B brands where it was quite difficult to understand what that solution potentially was. Um, and you know there is certainly an education piece that is important in the context of that without a shadow of a doubt. But also at the same time, I think it's important to, to think about how you can expose users to your brand at the top of the funnel and what type of content can enable you to be able to do that you know be it a podcast or video or some type of sort of introductory guide to a product within that space um i think that's something that's well worth pursuing and then the third one i guess would be And I like to say this because ultimately, if there's a situation where there is something that needs to be made that's going to garner digital PR attention or something that, you know, ultimately is going to lead to a conversation where there is a significant amount of content created around a specific theme or topic for a B2B brand, is that we're only limited by our own creativity. So I think that's really critical as well, because... Um, ultimately, we are only limited by our own creativity. We see things go viral every day. We see, um, you know, incredible examples of data visualization, and businesses working in B two B space have a lot of data at their disposal. It's how you utilize that in a way that's informative and that speaks to everybody, but really resonates with your B two B target customer. So, you know, I, I think ultimately, any given day, you can be the voice of your industry. Uh, And you can create incredible content that resonates with people, but we're really only limited by what it is that we can come up with.
0: Within SEO, I think we can sometimes have a tendency to focus a bit too much on KPIs and not enough on inputs. Of course, in the long run, KPIs are everything, but they can also be hugely misleading in the short term. So sometimes, you know, you might do all the right things, but the results might be really slow to emerge, or sometimes you'll do very little, and yet the traffic will just keep on rising. What are your thoughts on that? Do you measure your performance entirely in terms of outcomes or the other considerations, activities or metrics that you report on?
1: I think this has been my answer to every question so far. But I think, again, it comes down to trust. Trust is such an important part of this because we've had all of those situations take place at Crowd, right? So we've had a situation where we've driven a significant amount of traffic for a client in a very short space of time, uh, albeit that was via a, a very successful migration. But ultimately, you know, then within sort of six to twelve months, that they they they've moved elsewhere because they felt like they would sort of got what they needed from us. That's the shortcomings of, of an agency. Um, you know, we've also had clients where we've done a lot of positive things, but ultimately we're just missing out on something. Uh, one client I can think of is we did some fantastic technical SEO work, helped them to implement a pre render solution for a, an Ajax framework that they'd implemented, uh, and ultimately built a lot of content for them in a short space of time. But really, when it came down to it, they just didn't have the authority, and we started to build some authority, but uh, the runway was a little bit too long. I just think that there's a myriad of situations um, potential kind of outcomes that can come from engaging. Uh, with an online business nothing to do with SEO but depends what kind of time frame that you have in in order to be able to implement what you want to be able to see and if you do consistent content creation make sure that your pages are optimized make sure that you have a a quick website you know that performs well on multiple devices etc etc and you're building authority and brand reputation which all comes from not just SEO of course comes from a a host of different channels, over time, then ultimately, you're going to see positive SEO impact. So yeah, I, I think, you know, as as SEOs, we probably do rely a lot on KPIs. And really, for us, this varies from client to client. And uh, as an agency speaking, of course, you know, I think we try to put a lot of different KPIs in front of clients that perhaps don't understand what it is that we're doing, and just try and give them them visibility on that. But it's really difficult to be able to uh, estimate, you know, how things are going to grow over time. I've gone back and forth on this for the longest time. I've said, you know, it's really important that our clients have goals because then we know that if we hit those goals, they have every reason to stay with us, right? And as an agency, we want our clients to stay with us for as long as possible. That's ultimately our business model. But at the same time, to be and I'll be quite frank with you, the lion's share of our clients do not have targets for us, right? We don't have specific conversion targets. We don't have specific. Traffic targets necessarily. We have expectations and we review the work that is done and we say, okay, right, is this working? Are we seeing performance impact? Are there things that we can report up on to say, yes, this is moving in a positive direction? But it's really difficult for most businesses, regardless of the business, to be able to put together very specific goals around what it is that they want to achieve. So Yes, uh, you know, I think ultimately, again, as I said, it comes down to trust. Like, if you trust in SEO, then you keep doing
0: it well. You're going to see the impact of in the long run. Do you think we have a responsibility, or at least that it might be in our interest, to better educate people at a strategic and kind of senior level? Because if they don't understand what we do and the nature of SEO, that may well help during the sales process. It may mean that because there's something of a blind spot there for them, and we're in possession of all the information that it's easier for us to inject a sense of urgency and fear and scarcity and all the other emotional levers that may help us to make the sale. But that can backfire in a big way six to nine months down the road if they still don't understand what it is that we're actually doing. And in which case they've got no choice but to judge the performance of the campaign, whether it's delivered by an internal function or an external agency, entirely and exclusively on the KPIs, the outcomes. Whereas if we did a better job of educating them and taking them on that journey, then they'd understand all the fantastic inputs, whether they were highly technical or about great content. But they'd understand the value of those things and it would make it easier for them to buy into that and to create that trust that's slightly separate, I think, from the pure KPIs.
1: Yeah, I just turned my camera on there just so you could see my expression, because basically you described my career for the last five years there, um, which is to varying levels going into businesses and either understanding that there is somebody who is a ultimately an advocate for what it is that we're going to be doing, which makes our lives so infinitely easier. I mean, I genuinely think that with some of the SEO engagements that we've worked on, we perhaps spend 50% of the time trying to prove why we are even talking to them in the first place, and then 50% of the time working out what to do, how to do it, and then implementing it. Right. Which is where, where that should really be what all the clients spends their money on. And we we have to build for the time where we're trying to prove to them why it is we're even speaking to them in the first place? Why is this person with a British accent talking to me in my office about, you know, things that I don't really understand? That has been my career basically since, not not just in the US, it's been my career basically since day one. And that's what we know about SEO. It's a misunderstood channel for a lot of good reasons. Again, like Google wanted to be misunderstood. That's not a secret. I have various opinions about this and sort of go back and forth with regards to I think it's important to educate, and I think if you've got somebody who's very keen to learn, like any kind of education, regardless of the seniority of the individual, 100% they should be given the time to be explained, okay, right, this is what we have, this is the data that we can look at, this is how we can see rankings, Um, you know, this is how we uh, potentially sort of do forecasting, this is where we get the metrics from to to gauge the performance of your campaign in your analytics platform, etc, etc. But I found more often than not that at a senior level, people don't often want to spend that time trying to learn. It's not always the case. It kind of um, I spent a lot of time I think with the B two B client that I mentioned previously doing training in actually places like Mexico and Colombia and uh, and also in the U S. Uh, and sometimes a very senior execs because they wanted to understand what it is that we were doing. But, you know, whether or not they still remember anything that I said to this day is debatable. But ultimately, you do it because, you know, you're, you have a product, and you're trying to sell it. And the more buying you can get from more people within the organization, the better. So, yes you know i think ultimately it's the perennial problem within seo that you know you have to be able to not only do the job that you know you need to do because as seos we know what we need to do and we know what's going to drive performance but also sometimes you know you have to be able to say well this is why we need to do it and what we think is going to happen when we do it and when that gets down to the nth degree like you know what do we think is going to happen to the ranking for this keyword in this month which does happen believe me you're in a tricky spot not necessarily unmanageable, but it's obviously a lot easier to just be able to, you know, create all the content you need to create to execute all the technical SEO campaigns you want to create.
0: Um, so yes, you may disagree with this, but I think for most SEO campaigns, the primary consumer of time is the creation of high quality content, be that blog posts, landing pages, or other resource material. Therefore, the question of how much quality content is perhaps the single most significant, as it will largely determine both the efficacy and the cost of the campaign. So how does a company make that judgment? How does it determine the ferocity with which it should churn out quality content? Or is that missing the point? Should it be looking at something else entirely?
1: Entirely pertinent for us right now. We had a meeting yesterday talking about this very thing. For the longest time, we have been moving down a path of human driven content creation which involves so many different things. Ultimately, we need to come up with the ideas of exactly what to write. So we need to do our keyword research. We need to understand ultimately the types of ideas of content that we might write about. And then we need to do a brief. So we need to understand, well, is there any competitor content out there that we can sort of learn from? Uh, What keywords should we be targeting? What types of topics should we be writing about? We need to write the thing. We need to QA the thing. Then we need to deploy the thing. Now, you think about that process and, you know, maybe I make it sound a little bit sort of simple on on face value, but there's actually a lot to that. When you're doing that at scale and when you're doing that for multiple languages and multiple countries, it becomes an incredibly complex proposition. So in terms of specifically answering your question, I think how much quality content, how much content can we create that's going to have performance impact, which ultimately, you know, I, I think I still see this time and time again. Like, yes, I can create a piece of content for you as an SEO person. And then you can use that on social media and you can use that in your email marketing campaigns, which is great, but that's gonna be ephemeral traffic lifts, right? Social media popularity, if it was to go viral, right? So you're gonna have still have like one or two days where it's very popular and then nobody clicks on anymore. Email marketing, e- people only get that email once. The key thing about SEO is that people are searching for how to design my home office again and again and again and again so if you can create the piece of content right and it performs for seo which is the goal of all of our content then ultimately you could be you're in an incredibly advantageous situation so i think the goal of creating quality content at scale in international languages if you are an international player is incredibly important but how do you do it cost effectively and how do you do it you know if your budgets are are relatively limited well we're talking a lot about uh, tools that provide automation, which I mentioned previously. Uh, there's some fantastic tools on the market. So Phrase is one. ClearScope is one we use quite frequently. There's other tools as well for international con- content creation. We recently had a meeting with Smartling. It seems like an incredibly sort of a adept proposition from them as well for creating international content. So I think the introduction of uh, machine learning driven content creation platforms that ultimately are able to provide you with a lot of the things that you need in order to be able to create a piece of content. So, you know, how long should it be based on what's currently performing in Google? What's the readability score? What do I, you know, how how well does this need to be written? And then features such as, uh, you know, what kind of sections do, what can I have? Can you give me some ideas of things to write about? What topics do I need to cover? What semantically related terms need to be within this piece?
0: Just very quickly, Anne, these tools that you mentioned, they're not for creating the content for you, are they, but rather for creating a framework within which you then create the content
1: well, that's you know you can expand on that question because ultimately they're not creating the content for you right now. There are actually tools that do create the content for you. One hundred percent will literally write the paragraphs out. I think right now in the contemporary as we as we exist today, there is still a huge place for content writers, and I think there always will be. Uh, to a certain extent. However, I think there's going to be uh, certainly in, in the it, I think it's probably already happening now, you would imagine that there is a, a version of a a piece of content that is like a 1000 words that ultimately has been written by a machine and then is simply QA by a human like, and you know, as we move towards that space, and as, as this technology becomes available, we have an obligation to our clients to understand exactly how these solutions work. We have an obligation to us, our, our proposition within the industry, to understand. You know, can we utilize these tools? And then I think you ultimately get the the costing great scale right. So we have incredible content writers who can produce fantastic pieces of content that you think as a machine based on, even you know billions of rows of data would struggle to be able to authenticate but you know i'm not saying it couldn't happen i think it, it probably is coming at some point but using humans is going to be the more cost prohibitive approach it's going to be the more sort of affluent and uh you know more expensive approach is probably the word i'm looking for and then on the other side you know utilizing machines is going to be potentially more cost effective but you know you miss some of those steps so creating content at scale isn't a cheap thing to do uh, obviously uh, because it's ultimately one of the most significant flags in the ground to be able to say your brand is the industry leader is the uh, leader in perhaps multiple markets and you know ultimately is is has this incredible content that really defines our tone of voice but entertains the audience and and puts us in an amazing place but it's going to cost you probably quite a lot to get there. So there are certainly sort of elements of machine learning and artificial intelligence that, that will perhaps allow that to be done in a slightly more expeditious manner, which is incredibly interesting and, and certainly a game changer for the industry.
0: Really interesting. Slightly terrifying, but very interesting.
1: It is a bit, I think, like just, I mean, you know, I think if you're a content writer, I think it's very easy to think, you know, okay, well, that's tricky, that's going to be a problem for us. But also, it's not just content that's changing. Like, and I don't think content writers necessarily have to be changed. I just think, you know, there's always going to be opportunities, there's always going to be input for writers and journalists, right? Like writing a book, I'm sure there is some version of a book that could be written by a machine, but ultimately, I don't think it's going to be the greatest read, right? You know, you need that, you need that human intuition, so, like to be able to really. You know, provide the quality that's needed and from a journalistic perspective that's true too so you can apply that to content writing as well but also as well think about development like this, sort of the evolution of no code uh, and sort of no code platforms like webflow for example for designers is like a, a very popular platform now it's one of the biggest growing businesses you know here on the west coast and you know ultimately they've, they've, they've provided a no code platform and i think that evolution of no code platforms perhaps could have a developer saying oh you know that's a bit worrying but You know, I think everybody's got to sort of fight against the potential battle of of, of automation and, and, you know, what they're doing sort of being replaced by, you know, a a robot and something automated. But that's why it's so important to diversify and to make sure that you're sort of looking ahead, in particular in our industry more than anything, Um, you know, and seeing the opportunities that exist outside of that.
0: Slightly different question now, Anne. What is it that you see taking place in the SEO space? that just frankly pisses you off? It just bewilders you that people could still be doing these things in 2021. Is there anything that springs to mind?
1: Well, I have an incredible curiosity for the same thing that got me into SEO when I first started out in the career. I think I spoke to a guy in an interview this week who told me that he worked in sales and then he transitioned into SEO. And I said, well, that's exactly what happened to me. I was working in Australia I was selling uh, online advertising uh, directory subscriptions for a, a big website that used like keyword stuffing and uh, all kinds of sort of spammy SEO tactics in order to be able to prop their pages up to the top of Google in Australia and I wasn't as interested in selling the directory listing as I was in how did that keyword get us ranking third why did we rank second or first or whatever it might be over these other guys in the space and i think that's the key indicator to somebody that they're then interested in seo and then become part of that world so the reason why i'm mentioning that is because i still in 2021 see examples of gray and um you know gray or black hair whatever you want to call it seo tactics that work and i'm honestly just impressed when i see it i think that's that's kind of amazing but it makes life pretty difficult because ultimately is a most agencies will say yeah we don't employ gray or black hat tactics and it's like okay well <laughs> we don't do that we don't engage with black hat world and, and buy pbn so what that means is when i do get as going back to our previous conversations within this interview ultimately when i get somebody asking me we want to be here by this date. how do we get there what's our rankings for this going to be by this date? how much traffic we're going to ha- have by this date? i'm like well you're essentially asking for black hat seo i'm going to steer you away from it because that's my job and we you know we have a reputation to think of and all the rest of it but ultimately those things still work like and they don't work for a long time but they work and they work enough for a brand to see that and to go okay well how can they do it then you have to have a whole another explanation of the conversation around what that is and how it works and all the rest of it it becomes quite complex so I, I don't know if there's anything that I'm seeing that like specifically pisses me off about campaigns that I've inherited or campaigns that I see it's slightly frustrating that black hat does still work but at the end of the day Google is still for all the advancements that they've made over the course of the last 20 years they're still just an algorithm it's still something that's potentially open for manipulation you know albeit very difficult to manipulate but uh, you, you analyze it I, I saw a website the other day I, I won't name it obviously but it's in the space that one of our uh, clients are in and I analyzed the backlinks in ahrefs and I was like this is really interesting because what they've done is they've been quite methodical they've employed a pbn but then also a lot of the links on that pbn are nofollow and they've curated a backlink profile that means that they still have by and large um, more do follow than no follow and they have sort of a well-rounded anchor text without too much specificity on you know non-branded keywords and anchor text being sort of boot floor of penguin from a backlink perspective they, they basically curated this thing and it's very difficult to not go wow that's actually quite impressive so whilst it's annoying because you know ultimately we advocate for white hat seo and doing it the hard way and negotiating with journalists and trying to get our name out there with digital pr and creative content which is very important for for brand growth, for an off-page perspective. It's also sometimes frustrating to still see some of those black hat endeavors work, but um, also incredibly interesting. And as an SEO, it's important to, to not just ignore that as like, oh, they're doing that, they just ignore it. But no, to understand, because ultimately the more you understand about that, the more you understand how the algorithm works and then you know how to potentially do it right for your clients. So, or wrong, as the case may be, I might just save that for personal projects.
0: You mentioned PR and journalists and that side of the marketing equation. Do you feel that those individuals have a sufficient level of insight, not just in SEO, but digital generally, in order to be able to fully leverage the skills that they have? Because very often, those people on the more brand and journalistic side are very often in the best position to do things like increase the authority of a domain or to create fantastic content or whatever it might be. To me, it seems there's still quite a big gap between these worlds. And I wonder if you think enough is being done to close that gap?
1: So I think a lot of PR companies now have heard about what digital PR is in the context of SEO and the importance of backlinks, and ultimately now understand that that's a part of the industry that they're going to be asked about. Whether or not they choose to engage with it intentionally from a proposition perspective is a different thing. Um, it may well be that they they do very traditional PR. In my experience, we've met uh, agencies that no, they don't do that, or they only specifically do crisis management, or they specifically do. Uh, some type of other reputation management or something like that or you know ultimately they don't do necessarily the digital PR side but we've also worked with uh, agencies who do uh, very actively consider it to be a key part of their proposition to engage on the digital PR side so it really depends on the agency and and, you know whoever's running that agency is working for them and whether or not they have the skill sets within there to be able to to work with you on potentially uh, leveraging backlinks. But we've done that, we've worked with other agencies to, to build backlinks for clients, digital PR agencies to great effect. So yeah, I think ultimately ideating content for a digital PR campaign takes a different set of skills than perhaps it would do for a traditional PR campaign. because. You know you need to think about okay well what's the lever what's the catch what's the thing that i'm dangling out to get that press interest in the first place you know who's the context that i need to obviously garner relationships with which is very much the same as traditional pr but obviously on the page itself you know how am i going to maximize the opportunity for that particular piece of data visualization or infographic or whatever it might be to be embedded on the client site to get the backlink and you know you have to think about it in terms of in the context of that backlink which is obviously the critical part in the context of SEO. So yeah, I think there's still probably a split, but I think you're probably going to see more of those businesses that have engaged with digital PR continue to go down that path and realize that as long as right now, like links are still, as far as I'm aware, I've, you know, not checked the news this morning yet, but they're still the most important part of SEO. And they have been since, you know, I started doing it with you 10 years ago. I know that they want to move away from that. I think one of the big things for Google is that there was a there was a patent recently that garnered a bit of um, fervor with regards to Google evolving their search engine to be able to accommodate sort of a chatbot type response for certain queries utilizing their, their artificial intelligence algorithms and, and, and databases to be able to answer questions with regards to certain sort of day-to-day topics, right? So So informational style queries. Ultimately, you know, how long would it take me to get an Uber to X place or what's the age of this actor or certain things around that would go into a very specific chatbot style response system where there aren't results anymore. Right. And we see that already. We see that prevalently. It's not a surprise. It's not a far stretch to consider that jump we already see that. Google will leverage and scrape content as it does, and that's the premise of its business, albeit slightly ironically. Um, And then ultimately, they will leverage that to users based on specific search queries, so you don't even need to click on the page. Well, an evolution of that, of course, is just to say, well, look, we know the answer to this question. There's no point in showing anything else. And we've seen examples of that previously, but then to sort of engross the user in this chatbot-style experience when they're asking around a certain type of question. And then, you know, and that's a patent that they've logged, and Um, You know, ultimately, what does that mean for other industries when people say, hey, I want a flight to New York? Is it it just Google that shows you, hey, this is the price of it. You should probably, you know, go through us. And all the other industries that Google has permeated over
0: the years, recruitment, travel, all the rest of it. So, um, yes. Well, look, thanks so much, Ant. You're an insightful chat when we last worked together. And that mighty brain of yours is clearly on another level entirely now. So really appreciate you sharing your thoughts today. Really enjoyed it.
1: Fantastic, that's great to hear. Really appreciate you having me on and always a pleasure to speak to you. So yeah, it was great.